0: But there's a lot of other things going on out there. One of the things I want to warn people about at this point, when the market turns down, we've said this before and want to say it again, be afraid, be very, very afraid of something called private equity. Now, what's private equity? That's when you invest in your portfolio and there is a fund that somebody wants you to invest in that is not registered under the Investment Company Act of 1940. Most people never heard of the Investment Company Act of 1940, but it is important because that is a very heavy regulate, heavily regulated area and we, we've talked about it a lot. But there's also something called private equity and, and there's a lot of people trying to sell investments in private equity. What's private equity? It's not publicly traded. In other words, you say, we're going to buy into a bunch of real estate and a real estate uh, investment trust or we're going to pool our money in a venture capital fund or whatever it is that you're going into. And the, the sales point, is the prices don't fluctuate. So you don't see the price go down. Why don't you see the price go down? Because there's no market for what you just bought.
1: Once more onto the breach, dear friends.
0: Else fill the wall up with our English dead.
1: Good morning again. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and boys girls.
0: and girls. Yes,
1: you're gonna you're gonna finish that for me. And welcome to another second hour of a sort of semi, kind of maybe exciting episode of
0: come the on, personal come on, wealth. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on! I said exciting to in another a very exciting up. hour of the personal mm-hmm. wealth coach. There you go. Well, I put some qualifiers
1: on there. I mean, we did talk about second digit decimal points
0: a lot last hour. Well, one of the things about radio that you have to understand is there has to be an exciter. Yeah, for a radio transmitter to work. It's so a tube it will work exciting, otherwise. Exciting! Yeah. It is an exciting hour because out at the radio station, at the radio transmitter, there's an exciter and it's getting excited. Okay, yeah, and I
1: can go with that. That's a very I, I exciting it, episode.
0: Right. There's always excitement in radio. Yeah.
1: There we go. That, that makes television. me feel better. I can I can unreservedly talk about the excitement right. that uh, is held around our program. Now, if
0: we ever go straight internet with no radio transmission involved, I may have to qualify that exciting statement or claim, whatever. Yes. Something about
1: that. Right. All right. We are actually economists, and we're here to talk to you about, get this, the economy. We're also going to talk about some personal finance stuff because we do a lot of that as well. Um, The two of us... Uh, Our uh, Jeff and Jake uh, just so happened to also be principals at another firm or at a firm. It's not really another firm. It's kind of the firm that we're with. Um, The Personal Wealth Coach, which is also the name of this radio program.
0: Hmm. It's a whole nother firm.
1: It's a whole nother firm. Yes. Right. Right. Specific to the word nother. Right. Um, Pardon? Yes. So the Personal Wealth Coach is also an SEC registered investment advisory firm.
0: What which the, does not imply in any way that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything we're doing. As a matter of fact, given the opportunity, they would disapprove.
1: Yes, that is their job. And we're just happy that they don't disapprove of us tremendously. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure that they've ever disapproved of us, which is not because they haven't approved of us, but because they haven't had enough it's, notice of us, maybe? I don't.
0: Well, know. they looked hard.
1: Yeah. Um. All right. So... The SEC uh, doesn't give us some kind of brand of approval, they're just our regulator. Now we said that we're giving investment advice as a firm. That's something that's in the best interest of the client, putting the client ahead of us by far, all that good stuff, and we can't do that on the radio because we don't know you, and you're not clients, and um, all of the privacy issues and all that good stuff if you are clients. Uh, So what we do instead is education. Because we believe that if we educate people, hopefully they'll use it. It seems to have some track record and that people that know more tend to make better decisions. I know this is weird stuff. There's got to be a study on this too. Uh, Do you have another disclosure for us?
0: Well, the information that we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information
1: or unsaid information. We uh, also you know, do I guess not. I went
0: into my radio voice to say that.
1: Yes, we also do not pay for this radio program. It's not a paid commercial program. It. We also don't get paid to do the program, which makes us—I don't know—is that charity? Pro bono. Pro bono. Uh, we do advertise on the station for the program as does the studio they we have all been advertising this for a long time we've been doing this program together since 1998 and you had two years in advance of that where you were doing it on your own for an hour instead of Mm. two hours right so uh, we've been doing this a long time so we're back and I have a bunch to talk about. I'm sure you have a bunch to talk about. We talked about recession and whether or not, or if, or why, or why not last hour. I wanted to talk about a little bit more of the weirdness or not weirdness, maybe the lack of weirdness in the energy market. I know, this is weird. Wait a minute. I said lack of weird. It's weird that I say this isn't weird. Because everybody's saying, hey, look at all the weirdness in the market. For historical reference, this is a lot um, more normal than not to have major wars occurring on the planet. So for us to call it weird when it's kind of the historical norm, I call that weird. What's going on? What am I talking about here? Um, The change that's going on in the energy market worldwide. So there are some major suppliers of natural gas out there, and that's one of the major uh, centers of energy on the planet. Major suppliers of natural gas. Let's let's name a few. Um, the the biggest supplier to the world of natural gas. Period is Russia. Um, that's that's not. Any kind of an estimate, or maybe it has been the largest supplier of natural gas to the planet for a long time. It supplies about, or has supplied about 60% of the natural gas to the continent of Europe. Europe has one of the highest demands for natural gas. I know people say that the United States burns more oil and burns more natural gas, but the reality is if when you apply the entire European Union, we're not the highest. (laughs) There's more people there and they're living at sort of equivalent um, standards of living. They actually consume more natural gas than we do. That's weird. I know I'm talking a lot of weird stuff because if you listen to like the eco warriors, we're the worst in the world and all of that. It just demands how do you measure it. As a country, yes, the Europeans have a lot of countries, but they're all conglomerated into one big unit now, the European Union or the Eurozone or anyway, the Russians are not as big in the natural gas area as they were. They'd like to be. But they just invaded their neighbor, who happened to be really good terms with a lot of the people that they sell natural gas to, and kind of sort of threatened everybody in the process. By kind of sort of, I mean they just threatened everybody. It's kind of blatant when you come right out and start shooting things and people. It's the most blatant. So, for good reason, the Europeans have said, hey, we're not going to buy as much. So, they've come out with another raft of sanctions. Why do you think they call sanctions rafts? It's so weird. Well,
0: when you get a whole bunch of logs together and you tie put them, them together, downstream, yeah, a whole bunch of them that's called a raft.
1: You kind of strap them together in a loose order. Right. Well, that's what's going on here. And the Europeans, uh, the Germans in particular, would like to cut the amount of natural gas that they're getting from russia by 90 percent by the end of december when they get a large majority of their natural gas from germany i mean from from russia so this is a big deal well what's going on how is that able to be done well they've got to put a lot of money into new ways of getting gas in the russians have to figure out what they're going to do with this natural gas Basically, the rest of the world is limiting them, so who do they sell to? Well, they're selling to places like Turkey and um, Japan and, most importantly, to China. And this isn't that unusual for countries that are sanctioned. Iran still sells its oil and its natural gas. It's still able to do that. It's not selling to the majority of the world and the places that are buying it are buying it at a very steep discount. So Russia turning to China to buy its natural gas and its oil is an amazing deal for China, and it's not a good deal at all for Russia. They basically have to agree to receive a lot less than the normal rate for the same thing, and it's not likely to go away in the near future. What's more, they've spent a tremendous amount of money on infrastructure going to Europe. Pipes, pipelines that are huge, that go under oceans, that aren't going to get used anymore. There's only one major pipeline to China from Russia. They're in the process of creating the second one. Do you think that they'll be able to pump in those two pipes the amount that they were pumping in, in the dozens uh, the five major ones, but dozens of pipelines going to Europe. No, it's just there's not the capacity there. So who's going to make up the difference? And this is really uh, a, a good uh, statement here. When I'm looking at the rig count in the United States, this is oil rather than just strict natural gas, but it's a lot of other stuff in there as well because the gas comes out of this. And it's a really good metric. A year ago in the United States, we had 456 rotary rigs operating. So a year later, we have 727. That's not double, but it's close. We've got a significantly larger amount of production going on, and we're not up to the level we were just a few years prior to that. So we have capacity to keep increasing, but we're not increasing very quickly right now. Week by week, the numbers haven't changed from last week. We didn't get new rigs operating in the last week. Well, well, why? Well, because it costs money to get rigs back up and running. And these are companies that, like we said last hour, that two years ago had to either go into bankruptcy or lay off a massive amount of, people that they were employing because the demand shifted so drastically when the pandemic hit. They're really not willing to jump back into the frying pan that they just jumped out of. So they're easing back in with lots of safety hatches to get back out so they don't burn themselves because the volatility here is huge. When we're looking at the changes in the market, where Russia is going now is permanent. Once these pipelines get turned off and maintenance stops on them, they start not to work so well anymore, and it costs a lot of money to get them up and running. So even if suddenly everybody gets friendly with Russia again, uh, what would you say the likelihood of that is? Somewhere between zero and none. Okay, so somewhere in between those two numbers, you're saying there's a lo- there, that, that there's a possibility. Um,
0: there's, a, there's a very interesting article it's in capital.com. It's actually, I got it by a link from Financial Times. That points out that pipelines already exist that run through what we refer to as the Middle East from North Africa that are being very, very that are seeing very, very low usage because in Algeria and Libya and places like that, things have been relatively unstable. And the European Union has not pursued contracts with producers there. And they're going full bore into getting those contracts now and supporting producers in North Africa. Now, is this going to fix the situation overnight? No. But over the next year to two years, Europe is seeing the Europeans are looking pretty hard at the ability to supply their natural gas needs without any from Russia. And And that's going to make a big difference.
1: This is another strange way of looking at the world, but in some ways... Russia being cornered out of the natural gas market, except for some very few buyers, may lead to some greater stability and safety on the oceans. Huh? What is that? How is going to war with Ukraine making it safer on the oceans when there's whole places that ships can't go anymore? Well, you know, the whole... South China Sea thing where the Chinese claimed this massive area and a lot of other countries are saying, no, these islands are mine. You can't just take that. Why did they do that? They did that because they didn't have access to natural gas. They're having to pay for all of their natural gas imports. All of it because they don't have it. So they said, oh, there's natural gas out there in the water. We need to go corner in on that and we're going to start Patrolling out there so that nobody else starts to take it from us. It's not that was theirs to begin with, but that's the mentality. Oh, it's ours now. Well, Russia turning and selling at a discount to China, and by discount I mean significant discount, more than fifty percent off the price to sell to China. China's making a great deal here. They're pumping in as much as they can because this is the lowest price you can possibly get. In fact it wouldn't surprise me to see China opening up liquid natural gas export facilities along their coast because of the difference in price that they're buying it and selling it. They could be able to start exporting natural gas as a country. It will be a little bit weird. People will go, that's probably Russian. But if the Chinese are doing it, just as a side note, the Japanese are still buying natural gas from Russia. Those are things that are clearly removed from sanctions. So if, if China buys something that's fully legal to buy and then sells it at a big profit, there's no law being broken there on the international front. And it wouldn't surprise me to start seeing that happen. That's going to change some ways on the strategic outlook for China. I know this is going out. This is very different from what everybody's saying. And your expression just there said, oh, that's a little bit weird. But if if Russia is left with only one major buyer, you just said between zero and none, their major customers staying around, which means that they are going to need to produce more natural gas to get the same amount of revenue. And they've only got one customer.
0: I don't think China is going to be exporting natural gas. Let me tell you why. That would put them in a position of being more dependent upon Russia. It would. You're correct. And their focus is getting natural gas from Southwest Asia because they don't trust Russia. Uh, they trust Iran a lot more than they trust Russia. They, because they and, can and, control
1: and, Iran more than they can right. control Russia.
0: Uh, if we change the subject. I've got yeah, something. Absolutely. The uh, Social Security and Medicare Trust Fund trustees made their report last week, this week.
1: They added a year to our solvency.
0: So the Social Security Trust Fund is going to exist comfortably through 2035. And a lot of people are concerned about what will happen at that point. We can talk about that. Just just
1: as a side note, for those of you who haven't kept up with a calendar, that's 13 years from now.
0: Okay. The big one to me, uh, by the way, the disability uh, trust fund, which is separate from the regular Social Security trust fund for people who aren't eligible for regular Social Security but they have become disabled, goes out to infinity. There's yeah, it's no like a hundred there. year out. Yeah, no problem. Right. I think seventy-five is where they, where they, as far as they go. But anyway, it's it's in good shape. The difficulty is Medicare, which the hospital fund effectively runs out of money in 2028. That's something to be concerned about. Uh, and at that point, something's got to happen. And that's one of the things we've discussed with people. Taxes are going to go up in the future. I really don't think the old people in the United States who've been paying into Medicare all their lives and who are dependent upon Medicare for, hospitals, for their hospital insurance are going to quietly sit by and see their benefits cut dramatically. Ain't going to happen. Something's going to happen to fix that. Either Congress is going to borrow a lot more money, or they're going to raise taxes on the people still working. I tend to lean on the raise taxes side of things because interest rates will be up by then. Yeah, and people
1: receiving Social Security are the highest constituent of of voters, because constituency of voters, they are the most likely to go to vote. If they're receiving social security. Now this is
0: this is Medicare, not social security. Right. Oh yeah.
1: And correct. Uh, yes.
0: Same and category. Medicare. And the 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 date for receiving Social Security keeps being pushed further out. That's by the way what I think is going to happen with Social Security. They're going to continue to push the date out. They at some point may put a cap. Say if you make over this much money, this many dollars, uh you either have a dramatically reduced or non-existent social security. Uh, that's things that are in the, in the mill. Medicare, on the other hand, pretty sacred. It, there is no income cap on Medicare presently, although you do pay if your Medicare insurance premium goes up as you get more income each year uh, uh, in retirement. That's going to be someplace that taxes will need to go up the government's going to have to borrow a lot more money. And I think the taxes will go up. They may borrow more money to cover it, but the taxes will definitely go up. So those are a couple little odds and ends. Oh, another good one. If you're on Social Security, the Social Security trustees are now suggesting that the probable increase at the end of this year in your dollar amount that you get for Social Security will be 8%, which is 8%. 8% raise. That's nice. That's that Well, it, it, to keep up with inflation, that's what it boils down to. Um, they earlier had said that they were expecting 3.8% rise, but obviously inflation in the first part of the year is taken off, so now they've bumped it up to 8%, which is a uh, thing that people can be comfortable with. Uh, and the fact that it, they, even with the 8% increase this year, they're saying uh, it's going to be way out there In 2035, before they run out of money, by the way, that's because social security,
1: social security taxes are way up this year. A lot more people making money that low unemployment. That means everybody's paying payroll taxes. That goes to social security.
0: The government's receipt of taxes so far this year is really good. Uh, Both income taxes and social security taxes that have been coming in are much higher than anticipated. The deficit this year is substantially lower than it's been in probably five or six years at this point. Um, I I know people are hollering and they're saying, oh, well, it's a Democrat and he's spending a lot of money and the deficit's up. Well, the reality is, and people don't like this, so get ready to not like something I'm about to say. Okay, I'm already ready. We ran a surplus under Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. Republicans consistently have increased the deficit far more than Democrats consistently and when when I say Republicans when the Democrats control the Congress or at least part of the Congress and they control the White House, the deficit tends to go down. When the Republicans control the deficit tends to go up Now I know that's the opposite of what you've heard and it's the opposite of what the politicians say. Don't you don't have to believe me go back and do your own
1: research yeah, it's it's all it's all publicly reported. It's the same places that those politicians work for or work at are the places this information is coming from. Yep. It doesn't mean that Democrats are better at spending money. It means that we tend, like NAFTA was signed under Bill Clinton, who was a big union supporter. That was a free trade agreement. It was a Republican Congress. Republican Congress is the one in charge of the balanced budget that we had during Bill Clinton. But he signed it, and he signed NAFTA where you've got Ronald Reagan, who led this massive increase in federal spending during his eight years, way, way beyond what Jimmy Carter spent, but we won the Cold War. So there are other pieces that fit into the puzzle, but generally more spending is available under people that say I'm for a balanced budget than for people that say I want to spend forever in their campaign. I don't know. It's kind of weird. We talk about a lot of weird things, but it's backwards from what the party platforms would purport to say. Okay, back to you.
0: That's reality. Well, there's a lot of other things going on out there. One of the things I want to warn people about at this point, when the market turns down, we've said this before and want to say it again, be afraid, be very, very afraid of something called private equity. Now, what's private equity? That's when you invest in your portfolio and there is a fund that somebody wants you to invest in that is not registered under the Investment Company Act of 1940. Most people never heard of the Investment Company Act of 1940, but it is important because that is a very heavily regulated area, and we've talked about it a lot. But there's also something called private equity, and and there's a lot of people trying to sell investments in private equity. What's private equity? It's not publicly traded. In other words, you say, we're going to buy into a bunch of real estate and a real estate uh, investment trust. Or we're going to pool our money in a venture capital to fund, or whatever it is that you're going into. And the the sales point is the prices don't fluctuate, so you don't see the price go down. Why don't you see the price go down? Because there's no market for what you just bought. Uh, it's not marketed, so because it's not marketed, you don't see the price go up and down. It's kind of like your house. Um, you don't see a day to day pricing on your house. Now, if you get a tax appraisal every year, you get some idea what your house may be worth on the market, but you may realize that during the 2000 through 2007, to 2007 through nine market collapse in houses, you probably didn't see your annual appraisal go down a whole lot. The same thing is true in private equity. In private equity, the pr- underlying price of the asset that you bought into may have fallen a lot. But you don't see it until you actually go to sell, and then it's sometimes a very unpleasant thing. We, I'm, we don't like private equity. I'll be perfectly honest with you. If you're a very, very, very wealthy person and you're a sophisticated investor and you can have your accountants, uh, accounting firm that you have on retainer look at the investment and you recognize it's illiquid, you're going to leave it there for a long time. And you've looked at it very carefully, and you're like Warren Buffett and said, this is a good thing to buy, and we're going to buy a lot of it, and take our risks, but recognizing we can't trade it, and if we try to trade it, we'll probably lose a lot of money. You're probably good to buy private equity. If not, be very, very, very cautious in that area, because there's reports In Financial Times, it was a really good article on it this last week, and I completely concur with what the unhedged writers wrote in that article. A lot of the pricing in private equity, first off, is leveraged. In other words, you put your money in and they borrow extra money to buy whatever it is they're buying. And when they go to sell it and they report a sales price for part of what they're just sold, and they said, look, we just sold a piece of this thing you're buying and we made this much profit or whatever. In many cases, they're selling it to another private equity dealer who is gathering money from the public. And at some point, these things tend to collapse and they tend to follow market downturns by 12 to 18 months, the collapse. So just be very cautious if somebody offers you something that's not a publicly traded security to put in your investment portfolio.
1: I have a comeback here for just, we were talking about, you mentioned that receipts for um, taxes to the U.S. government were way, way up this year versus the last year. And I went to um, the monthly treasury, it's a fiscal.treasury.gov reports. That's the, the, uh, the monthly data that they put on, on what the spending and the uh, income to the government is. Just did a quick spreadsheet on it. So from the period of May of 2021... To April of 2022, that's the last date we have data. As opposed to May of 2020 to April of 2021, the U.S. government has received 1.17 trillion dollars more in taxes this year versus last year. Yep, that's a big number. That is, a, hey, a trillion, a trillion here and a trillion there. Soon you're talking about real money. What's more, the borrowing is many trillions less. So if we're looking at uh, same period of borrowing from the public, so what does that mean? That means that we're not talking about um, Social Security stuff. We're talking about U.S. bonds on the open market, U.S. Treasury securities. Um, Last year during that time period, we borrowed uh, almost $3 trillion. This year during that, so time for time, about $1.8 trillion. So there's... $1.2 1.2 trillion less borrowed and 1.1 trillion more made. That's a net of like 2.4 trillion dollars excess from last year. I know that's not good math when you're talking about not borrowing money like you made the money, but that's kind of how the GDP works. It's kind of weird and silly, and we don't like it, but that kind of lets you know. So we made almost 1.2 trillion dollars more. And we didn't borrow or we borrowed 1.2 trillion less. That's good news from Social Security. Hopefully, that means that we'll start kind of looking around and not borrowing so much. No, no, that's probably not what it means. Never mind on that. We're going to keep borrowing.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, I, and we could we could spend an entire radio program talking about why it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, uh, having some degree of borrowing is a good thing,
0: um, as long I, as I our think,
1: revenue is going up in the process.
0: I think the level of borrowing that we're currently doing is quite sustainable. Um, yeah, we borrowed a bunch of money during the recession, and I've seen two not during, during the pandemic. The pandemic, yeah. I've seen two good papers on that so far, and both of them from. Completely different sources strongly suggested that it was a good deal to borrow that money and pump it into the economy because the extremely low interest rates, very low interest, the job losses that would have occurred had we not pumped that money into the economy would almost certainly have cost the government more money than they borrowed to avoid it. Agreed, Um, and and so that's one of those things that's a fundamental reality. Is And, and again, uh, several of the people I have talked to have put the borrowing and pumping money into the economy as if President Biden did it all by himself. Admittedly, and you remember, it was done over two administrations. It was done by Republicans. It was done by Democrats. It was done consistently. And both sides, I will say, I think, did the appropriate thing when they pumped money into the system.
1: And let, let me give you a different perspective on that. We borrowed about, um, oh, about $1.3 trillion total um, during the, the pandemic. All the big stimulus packages and so on, that's a lot of money that the government borrowed. Trillions. It was $1.3 trillion. And if we go back uh, to a normal time that ended in February of 2020, before the pandemic g- began, uh, if we look back at what was a normal uh, from March of twenty nineteen you know, 2019 to February of twenty twenty, this was pre pandemic. The normal revenue to the government. Well, that was good times, by the way. That was we were in booming times. Things were going well. pandemic hit. The government brought in about three point five five trillion dollars from taxes and so on. Three point five five that's a lot the government in the last 12 months has brought in 4.9 trillion wait a minute 4.9 3.55 let's even round that up 3.6 we we borrowed about 1.3 trillion dollars to keep jobs going and we made an extra 1.3 trillion dollars in the first year after this happened that's now we're not turning and focusing that back right back into paying off that debt. But it says that's a good loan. If you have to make a short-term borrow, you have to borrow money short-term, and it causes you to make as much money as you borrowed in the next 12 months. If you're buying a piece of equipment at a business and it pays for itself in a year from the extra revenue that brought in, rather than having all those people staying laid off, that was good borrowing. I know that's not the You know, People don't like to hear that the government should borrow money, but in times of emergency, if the money's not on hand, it needs to come from somewhere, and it paid for itself. It's like infrastructure spending, giving that extra money, even though a lot of it was wasted in those PPP loans, the paycheck protection loans, all that good stuff, and you're going to continue to see bad news about people that didn't deserve it that got it. The overall program saved us from a depression and probably saved the rest of the planet from a depression because we are the only ones kind of pulling everybody out of it right now. Europe is spiraling into a recession because of energy and food prices and a war. Russia is definitely there. China is spiraling into what could be the first recession it's had in 50 years because it's shut down down to prevent COVID rather than going to vaccine and just get infected.
0: Well, they're, they're opening up.
1: They are starting to open up. That's your, your, but we still have like a hundred million people in lockdown. They had about 300 million people in lockdown over about a three month period. (sighs) Their, their quarterly numbers, if they're positive this time around are going to be lies. There's just no way they could be positive. Uh, They're, they have shrinkage in their economy right now. And that that is kind of laying out, the you know, when we, years back, 15 years ago now, the Great Recession hit, and we looked at three experiments that were being done by the world. The the Europeans went into, don't spend any money, um, pay back as fast as you can, uh, and it was one experiment. The United States, through George W. Bush and then Barack Obama, did two big stimuluses that stimulated the economy. Uh, lots of money went into it. TARP was one of them, and then money coming back from uh, Social Security reduction in taxes. A bunch of stuff happened. We spent a lot of money, and we came out of the Great Recession way ahead of Europe. China went into like overdrive and spent way too much money during that time period, which has led to part of their debt issue now. Uh, It's part of their real estate problems. All the collapses that you're hearing in the real estate market over there are from money that they spent 15 years ago overspending for stimulus because they were trying to do what we were doing only more. Come forward to the pandemic, we had three different experiments again. The United States basically Shut down for a bit and then opened up faster than any other industrialized nation. It was painful. We lost more people to the to the pandemic because of it, but our economy recovered a lot faster than the rest of the world. And now there's not really a good way of looking at, at experiments. We we our continent didn't just get invaded, so there's some big divergences happening there. But our economy, being as vibrant as it is, is Basically, Europe's only hope not to spiral into a recession right now. Germany is probably in a recession at this point. Um, would you agree with that?
0: I well it certainly is a probability, but then we haven't seen them in a recession officially. But yeah, what I say be.
1: they're they're probably. I mean, last quarter was negative for GDP, and all the numbers coming out right now are saying this quarter is going to be negative as well. That's the yeah. very easiest way of saying that looks like a recession from here
0: it uh, does. And you're probably correct. And uh, great Britain or United Kingdom is also probably in a recession. Uh, that is going to affect us because they're going to buy less stuff from us. Yeah. But again, we have this advantage in the United States that I think is crucial in that we aren't dependent upon exports. Um, Russia long-term looking at, at very, very long-term issues. There's something called roughly called the Dutch disease. And what happens is if a company, a company, if a country is largely dependent financially on exporting raw materials, it will eventually destroy that country's economy. Now, you can argue that that shouldn't be so and if it's properly managed it wouldn't be so and a host of other arguments that you can make. But the reality is throughout history when company when countries exist on export of raw material, export of commodities, and, and and specifically something that they pry out of the ground like oil, it results in great corruption in that country. It results in dependence upon a finite resource, and it results in dependence upon somebody else outside of their own control and country buying it. Right. And it has been the collapse of many, many, many a country through history. Many countries in Africa have collapsed over that. Um, And Russia, a lot of people don't recognize this. Russia, before the fall of the Soviet Union and for many years afterwards, was not a major exporter of oil or gas. The U.S. and um, other other companies like British Petroleum, Other countries, but other companies outside the United States, like like BP, went in and developed these huge gas and oil fields for them, and a lot of gas and oil now flows out of there, and they are largely dependent upon that export to survive. Uh, China is in a very awkward position where they are dependent upon us buying things to survive. We are in an interesting position where we are dependent upon the United States consumer to survive but the united states consumer at least is in the united states so we actually have a far more stable economy far more predictable economic outcome um europe Germ- germany is a major exporter. they're dependent upon ex- exports of manufactured things to survive uh and and there's a big argument obviously and then one that went on during particularly during the trump administration that we should be in a position of exporting more than we import i don't know that that's true I think we can do just fine, and we have done just fine. We've had the most successful economy so far, literally, to the best of my knowledge, in the history of the world, in a large economy. And during the time we have been doing the best is during the time we have been importing a lot more than we export. And I know that's counterintuitive, but it's fundamental historical reality. And I kind of like the way things have gone and continue to do so. I agree. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake.
1: Lure, uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's general portfolio management and portfolio management, and that's generally for people with higher net worths. But we make exceptions occasionally, um, and so you can contact us locally. Voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people know phone tree during the week
0: at 254-947-1111.
1: You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN.
0: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, jeff or jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.